Well, this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. We have finished chapter 2 last week, and we're going to, yes, move on, right in order, and we're going to be in chapter 3 with today a message entitled Next 2, and that will make a whole lot of sense as we dive into the Word of God. I definitely want to encourage you to have your Bibles open this morning, turned to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you can't remember uh, where to locate uh, Nehemiah, it's close to the middle of your Bible. Uh, If you open it up to the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms or something like that. You go a little bit to the left, and just a few books over is the book of Nehemiah. And of course, for your convenience, you always have the table of contents. Never forget about the table of contents. Hopefully over time, though, that you'll learn kind of where the books of the Bible are and then be able to locate them a little bit more easy. Some of you guys have the fancy tabs. Anyone have the tabs? No? No one has the tabs in here. Wow. All right. Tabs, they might not look as as clean, but they are certainly helpful. Uh, But Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. So in in God's created world, we see a lot of examples of what Scripture would call uh, that two is better than one. Have you guys ever heard that that phrase before? It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is a wild book for sure. Uh, But two is better than one. We see this when it comes to the way that birds fly together. Do we have anyone that just loves birds? Like you're just like a, a bird person? Like You just want to watch birds, look at birds, buy birds, and you're just all about birds. So birds are pretty interesting. Uh, I, every now and then, go out and shoot birds, which is very sad. Uh, Don't, (gasps) you eat Chick-fil-A, all right? You eat birds, all right? So listen, but birds are pretty cool animals, all right? Birds are cool. Uh, They actually, you know, fly in the V formation. Have you guys ever heard or, or saw, right, birds fly in this formation. It's not because it looks cool. Uh, There's very practical reasons. It is actually this V formation uh, conserves their energy to be able to fly farther, longer without taking rest. Uh, One of the things that it does is it reduces the wind resistance because of the way that they fly behind each other. Uh, This actually enables them to fly uh, very far distances without ever having to take a break. Uh, They've done studies and research that when birds fly alone, they actually beat their wings at a more frequent rate and they actually have higher heart rates compared to those that fly in formation. This is something that we see in creation, whether it's with birds, whether it's with ants, we see this this concept to be true that two is better than one. And we not only see this within God's creation, but we see this within God's design of how he works in and through his people. When it comes to God's work, two is always better than one. The big idea today, this is kind of our theme. Uh, Every now and then I like to kind of put it in a sentence or two, the main focus of what our study is going to be. I'd encourage you to write this down in its entirety. And it's the fact that this, today we're looking at that God has designed his work to be done next to each other. Eternity is most affected when God's people do God's work together. God has never designed that the things that he wants to accomplish on this earth, right? We're reading in Nehemiah, which he wants to accomplish building, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. In our day, he's not about building cities, but about building the kingdom of God, about adding people to the church and building up the people within the church. But this is always done together. There's no one-man shows, no one-man bands in a sense. Have you guys ever seen like a one-man band? Right, where he's got the, he's singing, but then he's also got a harmonica, but he's also playing the drums, but with his foot, and he's also playing the banjo. And then you see, church life, service to God is not to be a one man band. And this is our big idea for the day. So we left off last week with Nehemiah stirring up the people to commit to the work at hand and them responding with that resounding yes. They were all in. They said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And after all the planning, all the preparation, all the praying, the work begins. And now as we get into Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to see the details 
of who worked on what. All right, so they said they're in, but where do we go? Where, where do we start? What do we do? Well, Nehemiah chapter three is all about the details of the rebuilding of the walls. Now, before we pray in a moment, I want to tell you that Nehemiah chapter three is a gnarly chapter. I want you to just take a moment and skim over in your own Bibles, Nehemiah chapter three, just look at it. You're going to see many names, many locations. Everyone should be looking down at their Bible, skimming through verse one, all the way to verse 32, right? Not reading every detail, but just skim over it for a moment. What you're going to find are many details, many names and many locations. And today we're going to be approaching this different. Right, in the past couple chapters, we've looked at almost you know, every verse uh, in, in detail. We've been going verse by verse. Well, today as we approach chapter 3, it's 32 verses jam-packed of these details. And so we're going to approach it a little bit different. But before we get into it, I want to remind you that God is a God of intentionality, order, and purpose, meaning that there is nothing that God does without a specific reason and intention for doing it, which means as we come to chapters like Nehemiah 3, and there are others in the Bible like it, he gives us these details that at, from our perspective can seem unnecessary or uh, we don't know what to do with them. And God says, I've given them to you for a reason. He could have easily just jumped to chapter four and omitted the details of chapter three, but he didn't. Have you guys ever been reading the Bible and maybe in Chronicles, you come across a chapter and it's just full of names. It's like this person had this person and then that person was this age and then had this person. Listen, from our perspective, it can be difficult to read. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Why did God include this in the Bible? But what I want to show you today as we just take a, an overview, if you will, of chapter 3, is that what we, can, we can trust that, that there is not one chapter in the Bible too many. And there's not one chapter in the Bible too few. That, that what is here and what is contained uh, as the word of God on your lap is supposed to be the way that it is. Every name. Every detail has a purpose and an, and an intention, and it is our job as students of the Bible to seek the reason why. We are told that the volume of the book is written of Jesus Christ. He is the star of every story, and everything that we read in the Bible, whether it's the walls of Jericho, whether it was David and Goliath, all these Bible stories, they point to Jesus, uh, ultimately. And so uh, I just want you to keep that in mind as we dive in today. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, as we just approach this unique chapter uh, full of names that are very hard to pronounce, full of locations that we don't know necessarily where they are at, uh, Lord, we know that these details you've given for our learning, our comfort, our hope. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we know that the New Testament is the key to unlock the meaning and intention of the Old Testament. And so, Lord, as we are New Testament saints, New Testament followers of God, would we be able to look back this 2,500 years into the story of Nehemiah and see why you have placed in your scriptures for our benefit? And so, God, we look to you to give us that understanding and to give us the strength to see what you would want. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. So let me tell you a little bit about the ancient city of Jerusalem, all right, during this time in history. Now that can be an overwhelming map, but it gives you the idea of really kind of what the city looked like. The distance around this, this old city of Jerusalem that was broken down was about a mile and a half to two and a half miles by diameter. I mean, if you were to walk around, it would take you about one and a half to two and a half miles to walk around the walls. It's actually not that big. The, the city was more in a triangular oval uh, type of shape rather than just like a perfect circle. There were what we know to be 11 gates and four towers around the walls. 
Uh, we know from archaeology uh, archaeologists that have dug stuff up that the walls were most likely about eight feet thick. So don't think of like they were just like a brick wall. Oh, just put the brick on. No big deal. Just put a fence in. No, no. These were walls for protection, and they were about eight feet thick. You, you guys have walls maybe around your house? Ain't none of your walls eight feet thick, right? And, and so the, this was a, a, a definitely a good size project. But uh, this gives you a, a somewhat of a good idea. There were people that lived inside the city. There were people that lived outside the city, but this, these were the city walls. Notice the temple there at the bottom. Uh, and then obviously you see it kind of uh, get into that triangular oval shape, all right? Does that make sense? Can you guys kind of picture it? Uh, for chapter 32, chapter 3, there are 32 verses. And they're kind of broken up in this way. That the first five verses talk about those who began rebuilding the north side. Uh, the next set of verses talk about who began to rebuild the west side, west side, uh, who then verses 15 through 32, right? The, this is who uh, t began building the east side of the walls. And that's a, that's a good kind of overview for you to, for you to note and, and write down. Now, we will not be reading all 32 verses today as that would take quite a while, and you would make fun of me for saying all the crazy names mentioned, as I will uh, do in some verses. But we're going to be tackling this chapter in the following way. First, we're going to zoom out and take a look at the chapter as a whole. Then we will zoom in and look at a few different things specifically as it relates to doing God's work, God's way. And so number one, let's look at the zoomed out picture, all right? The zoomed out picture. This is where we're going to take a bigger picture, uh, look at the bigger picture of the chapter. Uh, as if we're in an airplane looking down with the view from about 30,000 feet up and, and we can see the city as a whole. We don't just see one section where one worker is working, but, but chapter three as a whole, a bird's eye view, if you will, all right? So we're going to look at the zoomed out version, all right? You ready? All right, the first thing I want you to note down is that 28 times in this chapter, it is mentioned in some version, that's why our title is next to, because it is mentioned, this person worked next to him. This person worked next to them. This group worked next to that. The next section beside him, beyond them. We start to get the picture that it is all about who is next to who. 28 times this is mentioned. Additionally, we see within the chapter as a whole, there are 42 groups of people, whether that was families, whether that was cities from the surrounding area. There are 42 groups or, uh, and additionally, 38 individual names are mentioned. Now, each of these groups and each of these names are mentioned working in unequal proportions, okay? So these people were working on this small section of the wall. Then these people were working on this bigger section of the wall. We know that these were unequal proportions. Some had bigger part of the wall than others to work on. There were all different kinds of people, spiritual leaders, government leaders, people with a variety of trades, and each of these groups or individual, this is the point, each of these groups were assigned a part on the wall. This is your part on the wall. Your duty is to rebuild this part. It was, it was delegated. They were, a, they were placed uh, in a place on the wall, and then they were assigned a task for the wall. Yet in all of these different places and all of these different specific tasks, they had one united goal. Whether someone was working on the north gate and someone else was working on the, the far mile and a half away east gate, that they had one goal. Do you know what it was? Build the wall. That was the goal. They had their part. They had their task. But they were all to build the wall. Warren Wearsby says this, no one can do everything, but every person can do something. And no one can do everything, but Every person can do something. And this is the main zoomed out principle that we see here in Nehemiah chapter three. 
Nehemiah didn't go around trying to do all the work himself. He understood a foundational fact and principle that to do God's work, God's way, it would require others to be used in their places with their tasks. Now, hopefully for some of you Bible students, you begin seeing the correlation. You begin seeing the connection of why this chapter might be placed in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul mentions himself as a fellow worker with God, a co-laborer, a co-worker. I want you to think about this. Paul says, I am a co-worker with God. You know what a co-worker is? Right, your dad, when he goes to work, your mom, when she goes to work, they have co-workers, people they work with. Right? If your dad works as a firefighter and he has co-workers that are also firefighters, they, as a firefighting station, they have the same goal in mind. What is it? Five fires, right? But they, they do that together collectively. And Paul says that God considers you and I who want to serve him, not as just servants, but he looks at us as fellow workers, as co-workers. God can easily do, right, whatever he wants to do by himself, yet he has chosen to invite us to be a part on the wall. And so if, if God says, you're my co-worker, you're my fellow worker, you're my co-laborer, then how much more should we look at one another in that same view, that we're co-workers together. We want people to know Jesus. We want people uh, to have their relationship with God deepened. And we have different parts on the wall, different tasks, but there is one goal. Romans chapter 12, verse four through six. Romans chapter 12, verse four through six says this. For we, as having many members, many parts in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. You see, within the body of Christ, within the church, there is this incredible diversity within the unity. All right, there's this diversity, meaning different people do different things. You don't do what I do, and I don't do what you do. You don't do what someone else says, and they don't do what you do. We all have this specific part to play. Notice here in, in chapter 12 of Romans, it says that there have been different gifts given. And the point is that we are to be using them. You know, this really goes in line with what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. If you've been joining us on Wednesday nights, as we're beginning this Wednesday to really get dive into the nitty gritty of spiritual gifts. We had an introduction a couple weeks ago. Uh, this really falls in line with the fact that spiritual gifts were given by Jesus for the equipping of the church, that we have a part to play. You see, the physical body of Christ is no longer here. Did you guys know that? Right? Jesus's physical body is no longer here, yet it is. You're like, Joel, you're not making sense. See, you and I are his hands. You and I are his feet. You and I are his mouth. You see, he has chosen to fully rely on, on his work to be done by his body, which you and I are the body of Christ. He is still the head, but we are the body. And, and it is the head which determines what the body does. But the point that Paul makes in the New Testament is that there's different parts, right? We talked about this on a Wednesday not too long ago. It would be absurd for my, if my whole body was an eyeball. It, that would not be beneficial. You're like, but the eye is like, that's, that's a real crucial part of the body. Yes, but I also need my hands, need my feet. And it's ridiculous for my hand to get mad at my foot saying, how dare you be a foot? You should be a hand. It's like, no, it would be more beneficial for my foot to be the foot, my hand to be the hand. There are different parts. And the point is that they work together, right? My eyes work together with my nose and with my mouth and with my brain, with my heart and with my hands. It, it's collectively, but it is the head. And Jesus is the head of the body of Christ for one goal, one 
tasks. Is, does that make sense? And so this is the picture that we see here. Lots of different people doing lots of different things, but there's one goal. And God's work, listen, is to be done together. The other thing that I want you to notice uh, is the, re- the repeating of these words. Okay, the word built, which means to be rebuilt, is mentioned six times in this chapter. The word repair, right, because they're rebuilding, uh, is mentioned 35 times. Now, if something is mentioned 35 times in one chapter, do you think it's important? Yeah, totally. Very important. And this word repair means to make something strong. See, now in the New Testament, God's not worried about rebuilding and repairing a wall. But is not the church a place where you can get built up, where you can get repaired, where you can get strengthened? It is. That, this is what God is about, that the church would be a place that you can come and be built up, that, that though the world has broken you down, that you can find solace, that you can find peace, that you can find strength to be repaired by the very spirit and the word of God. Uh, there's a pastor on staff. His name is Pastor Dennis. Uh, he's an awesome guy. And he's, he gives this illustration of coals. He gives an illustration of believers being like hot coals, meaning a coal, a hot coal by itself Uh, Good luck cooking your dinner. But if you begin to add the coals one on top of another, now you have something. And as you and I, as we gather together to do God's work next to each other, we are our strongest. This is how God has designed it. Can a bird fly by itself? Yes. Can it fly very far? No. Can it fly a whole lot farther in a V formation with others around? Totally. And the same concept is true within the church and the work of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Can you be a Christian and stay home and never go to church, never be a part of anything that God is doing? Yes. The answer is yes. You can. Now, will you be an effective witness for Jesus and impact the eternity souls of other people? Probably not. Can you be, can, can you, can someone have a Bible, sit in their house for the rest of their life, see a teaching, someone shares the gospel, they get saved, and then they lock themselves in their house for the next 30 years? Yes, they can still, they will still be in heaven. Are they going to fulfill the plans and purposes of God in their life? Not a chance. You see, God is all about togetherness. And I love the old African proverb that I shared with you before. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Can you try to do what God wants for you by yourself? Yeah, you can try. It's just not going to last very long. You're going to get burned out. Could Nehemiah try to start rebuilding the wall himself? Yeah, it would have just taken him 10 years, if not longer. We're, we're going to see by, the, by chapter 4 or 5 that the wall is completed in 52 days. And the reason it was able to be completed in 52 days, something that was torn down for 150 years took 52 days because they did it together. Think about Jesus. He chose 12 men. He didn't choose one guy that he was going to pour into. No, he chose 12. We even see this concept in the Godhead, right? In the Trinity. We see that the Trinity, which is, we know God to be one, but also there's this, There's this uh, diversity, though. There's this unity, one God, three persons. How does this work? This is the way that God has put it into the fabric of his design. Before we move on to zooming in, uh, one of the other things that I see as the big picture here is that the work of the wall was divided into manageable and workable sections. 
Meaning it wasn't that all these people just had this one tiny part and then one guy who's, he was like a construction guy, master builder, he had like a majority of the wall. No, it was sectioned off into these manageable and workable sections. It wasn't just doing one person or even a few people doing a bulk of the work. Some people did a little bit more. Some people did a little bit less, depending on what the leadership of Nehemiah decided, right? Nehemiah was the one to say, hey, you go on this part. All right, you and your family, you go on this part and build this up. But we see that it wasn't one person. And so it is with the kingdom of God that you, listen, it's not just me. You're like, well, you're a pastor. You should do everything. No, oh my gosh. It shouldn't just be Pastor Jack. It shouldn't just be uh, people that, that work at the church. No, listen, the way that this place functions is not because of the people who are on staff here. It is because the people who volunteer here, who serve. There's about 70 people on staff here. And there's about 15, potentially, including kids and everyone, 15,000 people that go to the church. How does this function? That would be an impossibility for the 70 to be with the, that amount. Does that make sense? And so it's us doing together, working together, and we're accomplishing the purposes of God. But that means you. Listen, you as a junior high student, you might think, well, I, I don't have a part. You have a part. You have a part on the wall. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a place and a task. So what is it? You know, you, you aren't alone. There are others building. But the question is, are you, uh, do you have your hands to the work? Remember, the, the goal of God's work now is different. It's not about building walls. It's about building the kingdom. And that can look different for each of us. Some of us, it can look like being involved here at church, serving, it can look like evangelism. It could look like reaching the physical needs of people and places and bringing the gospel. But what is your part in the body? What's your place on the wall? It's been said before that many churches in our Western world of doing things can resemble a football game. Like, how? what do you mean? Think about a football game. 80,000 fans who... Most of them probably badly need to exercise. And then you have 22 men on the field who badly need a rest. Oftentimes, when you look at the church, it can be like that. There's a few who are giving it all, giving everything. And then the majority sits in the seats week after week, just watching. They go home, they come back, and they watch. There's a difference from spectating and serving. And so don't be a spectator. Get up and get going. Uh, the next thing, zoomed in, right? We looked at the zoomed out view. Uh, next, as we're going to zoom in, uh, that was the overall picture. But now we're going to kind of uh, land the plane from the 30,000 foot view. Okay, we're going to land in Jerusalem. And let's take a, let's take a walk around the wall. We're not going to look at everyone uh, that was working on the wall but let's just uh, check things out a bit. Let's go see what, what people were doing and, and who they were. And what we're going to find as we kind of take a zoomed in look, we're going to see a variety of people working on different sections of the wall. Uh, we're going to see and pull out from this essential principles uh, for you and I as we're engaged in the service and work of God. All right. The first kind of principle of serving God that you can note down and we, we're going to read in verse 1, is dedication. All right, dedication. Look at verse 1 in your Bibles. The Bible says this, Then uh, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brother and the priest and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated then as far as the tower of Hananel. So we see the high priests were introduced to the first guy, all right? The first guy that said, all right, let's get moving. This is my part. Nehemiah put me on this part of the wall. Uh, is the first one to rise up is the high priest. Because his name is hard to pronounce, we'll just call him Eli, all right? Eli was the high priest. And the Bible says here in verse one that he gets his other priest buddies around and they begin building. You see, they were not saying, oh, we only take care of temple work. No, the high priests were the first ones willing to serve. Now, 
we in our Christian sphere, as we're New Testament believers, we no longer have a high priest because, uh, we, well, we do, but uh, he's in heaven. His name is Jesus. He has taken the prominent place of high priest. However, we do have pastors. We have elders, people in place of leadership, leading people spiritually. Uh, a pastor would be similar to what uh, a priest would have been at that point. And this is where sometimes we can get things wrong. You see, a pastor is not someone to be elevated. Oh my gosh. You know, if you see Pastor Jack, it's going to be like, oh, that's Pastor Jack. Oh my gosh. Uh, it should, we, we have this elevated view, like he is something greater. But really, according to Scripture, according to the, the New Testament, to be a pastor simply means to be the servant of all. He is the first one to say, I'll serve, I'll do that. Just as Eli here, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That should be, it should be the one taking the step, but not better than simply paving the way for others to follow. It should be the first one to serve. We notice that this is at the sheep gate. Look in verse one in your Bibles, the sheep gate. The sheep gate wasn't just because it looked like a sheep. Rather, this was the, the, the gate closest to the temple where they would bring in the sheep or the animals for their sacrifices, all right? And we see this word consecrated. That's that word, uh, that's the, the word dedication. To consecrate something is to dedicate it. It is to set aside for a, a specific and special reason. And we see that the first work on the wall was that they consecrated it. They dedicated it. It was a priest who said, this, this is for you, God. And as the first act of rebuilding, the first gate has to do with the worship of God's people. And this was good. Why? So I want you to write this down. Worship always comes before service. All right? Worship always comes before service. It's the first thing. That, that it, in our service to God, if our worship of God begins to decline, something's off. Service comes out of worship. It does not come before, uh, worship always comes before service. And for this one, we see that the work was dedicated to God and then everything else follows after that. No one built nothing until they dedicated the work to the Lord. And our man, Eli, he set the tone. Unfortunately, uh, which we'll eventually get there, but in Nehemiah chapter 13, we see the same high priest, um, Though he walked in the ways of the Lord and set the tone in chapter 3, uh, years later, chapter 13, uh, he would actually begin to ally with the enemy, Tobiah. Uh, his daughter, the high priest's daughter, would actually, uh, son actually, would marry uh, the uh, Sanballat, who we are introduced to last, uh, last time together, and he would actually uh, marry his daughter. What does this tell us? Uh, Eli started well, but didn't end well. Because dedication is not just a one-time act. I serve God on this Saturday. Okay, what about today? What about, this? what about the year later? It's not a one-time act, but a continual choice to have your own self dedicated to the work of the Lord. Make sense? All right, let's keep going. Let's keep walking around the wall. The second one, second principle that we can pull out is in verse five as we're introduced to some other people working on the wall. And that is willingness to do God's work, God's way, has to include willingness. Look at verse five in your Bibles. You guys tracking? Anyone, uh, anyone still up in the, in the sky when you land the plane for you? Okay, hopefully you're walking around the walls with us. Look at this, verse five. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. The Tekoites uh, were a group of people just outside of Jerusalem, and they came uh, to help with the building of the wall. Uh, but we see that there's a mixed group. We see that there were some people that were willing to make repairs and work on the gate. But notice the second group. Look into verse 5. We see them referred to as the nobles. Uh, the nobles would have been a members of a ruling class within their city or town. And it says that the nobles wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Uh, the, the idea is that they wouldn't, bend, literally translated, they wouldn't bend their neck to the Lord. 
Notice it says their Lord. Do you guys see that? Verse five. It says they, they wouldn't put their shoulders. They wouldn't do any manual labor. They didn't want any part of it. And they wouldn't put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Meaning that this is a issue of willingness, not an issue of ability. Meaning that they had the shoulders to pick up the bricks and put it on the wall, but they chose not to. There's something off here. Why would they not be willing to do it for their Lord? It's not that this, the nobles couldn't, but they simply didn't want to. It, it almost seems that verse 5 uh, appears to us that they were too good for it, right? Oh, we're the, we're the nobles of the town, so we're not going to do anything like that. But when it comes to the service of the Lord, there's nothing too good for someone. There's nothing beneath us. To, to be a servant of God is willingness to do anything and everything. That, that can include, uh, you know, and, and I love just a few weeks ago, I saw Pastor Jack out here uh, before first service, and he began uh, correcting the chairs, that some of the chairs, the thousand chairs out there, he was just kind of moving them to make sure that they were all straight. You're like, but isn't he like the senior pastor? Isn't he the one teaching? Yeah, but he sets the example. You'll see him walk around. If he sees trash on the floor, he picks it up and throws it away. Does he have to do that? No. Will someone else do that? Sure. But does he set the tone? Certainly. And it says that they were not willing to put their shoulders to the work. On the contrast, the, the other guys, the, uh, the Tikoites, the other people who were not nobles, they not only do their portion in verse 5. Check out verse 27. Look at verse 27 that they actually work more. They have this other part where they get their section done, it seems like, and they start repairing uh, another part that wasn't even assigned to them. You see, they were in two different locations because they were just willing to put their head down and put their, their shoulders to the work. The third thing as we continue around is availability. Read verse eight. Let's read verse eight, availability. Next to him, uh, Uziel, the son of uh, Hara. Man, some of these names are hard. You have to bear with me. One of the goldsmiths made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. So they like worked at Bath and Body Works or something. Made repairs and they fortified Jerusalem as the broad wall. We see a goldsmith. You see that in verse, in verse 8 there. And uh, perfumers. Meaning that they were not professional builders. Right? It doesn't say construction workers and uh, people that did drywall no, these were goldsmiths and perfumers. They weren't qualified for it, but did they jump in and were willing to serve? Yeah. And this, is, this shows us the importance of even if we think, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Are you available? Are, are you available for anything? Whether you think you are qualified for not. You see, God desires those who are not only willing to work, but to make themselves available to try things they might have never done before. You see, you might look at yourself and say, I'm not able to do that. But God doesn't need you to be able. He needs you to be available. He'll take care of the ableness if you just avail yourself to him. You be available. God will take care of the ableness. Does that make sense? And so we learn this from verse 8 that we ought to be available. Let's keep walking around. We got a few more to go. Leaving the past behind. One of the principles of serving the Lord is that we got to leave the past behind. Who we were five years ago is who we were five years ago, but it doesn't need to be who we are today. It doesn't need to be who we are today. We see in verse 11, Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hasheb, the son of Peath Moab, repaired another section as well as the tower of the ovens. Now, at first glance, you'd be like, Malkijah. First of all, why is his name like that? And who is he? Uh, Malkijah, the son of Haram, is, this is not the first place we see him in scripture. You can note down Ezra chapter 10, verse 31. Interestingly enough, if you were to turn to Ezra 10, 31, you can do it at a different time. He is mentioned of someone who was a son of a priest who took a pagan wife. Meaning that he, he married someone basically that he was a, a non-believer, if you will. He, was, he did something that he shouldn't have done. Now, years later, we see it, see it appears that he gets things right with God and is now serving God. I think there's a couple lessons that we can learn. 
Whether it's for ourselves personally, our, our past sins and mess-ups does not determine, uh, you know, our ability to serve today. Now, at times that past, I've seen where past sins can disqualify someone from certain positions, right? Whether it's someone who is in a position of leadership, it's like, hey, you can't be a leader anymore, but you can certainly do this or do that. And so for ourselves, we need to know that just because who we were two years ago, that doesn't mean that's who we are today. And additionally, if you see someone serving who two years ago, they were maybe sinning up a storm, not even attending church, it's like, wait, why are they serving in night in Bethlehem? They used to be like this. Do you know that's how they are now? You see, one of the keys to serving God successfully is leaving the past behind. Make sense? All right, let's keep walking around. We're getting our steps in today. Uh, the third thing is that at times serving the Lord, we got to get down and dirty. You got to get down and dirty. Look at verse 14. We see another guy named Malkijah, the son of Rachab, leader of the district of Beth uh, Hecarium, uh, whatever the heck that means, uh, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Does anyone know what the word refuse means? Waste, dung, a dung gate is a better translation for refuse gate. This is the gate that they would have brought all the trash of the city and dump it outside the walls. They didn't have like, you know, trash cans that you put out in a trash bin. No, they had a gate. They're like, hey, you got trash? All right, dump it out the refuse gate, the dung gate. Uh, this not only included trash, but also other things as you can think of. But this guy, Malkajah, was like, sign me up. I want the dung gate. Get, put me there, I'll build it up. You see, when you begin to really apply yourself to serve God, there's gonna be times when God asks you to be involved in people's lives. And sometimes this includes helping them deal with the dirty parts of life, the stuff that isn't so fun. But Galatians 6, 2 we are told that we are to bear one another's burdens, the heavy, the, the, the dirty things of life sometimes, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's keep walking. The third, the, not the third, the whatever number, passionate. That serving God, we should also be passionate. Verse 20, and we see, look at verse 20 in your Bibles. It says, after him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the, of Eli, the high priest. So we're introduced to this guy named Baruch. Everyone say Baruch. Uh, and uh, he here was the son of Zebai. And notice the Bible says here, verse 20, that he carefully repaired this section. This word carefully, it doesn't just mean to do it uh, like, like you would think of carefully. But this word carefully, it means to have such a deep concern and eager desire. It means to be passionate. Literally translated, it means to burn or glow. This guy, whatever it was about Baruch, he's like, get me to the wall. I'm gonna, this is gonna be the best part of the wall. People are gonna like come to this part of the wall. They're gonna look at it and they're gonna be amazed about how awesome it is. That he was just passionate about his section. He had his section. He wasn't worried about her section or his section, he was worried about his section. One who works for God must not do it with laziness or apathy. Yeah, I guess I'll go, put the chair on the other chair, and all right, I guess I'll do it. God says, just stay home. Passionate. God, we should be passionate, and we should work hard. We should repair the wall carefully. All right, last one. This is our last stop, but this, this one, we, we kind of uh, note some things all along the way, all right? At this point, we've made a full circle around the walls. We've gotten to meet different people uh, and talk with them. There was one theme, though, uh, that seems to be pretty consistent uh, with some of the people working on the wall. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. It says, next to them, Jedediah, the son of, uh, don't even know how to say that, made repairs in the front of his house. Verse 23, jump down. After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of uh, Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. Look at verse 29. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. Verse 30. After him, Mesuzalem, the son of, uh, don't know, made, made repairs in front of his dwelling. Sorry for not being able to pronounce some of the names, but you got to cut me some slack today. 
you notice that there were the, these different sections where they started at the section in front of their own house. You see, before you can go out and serve God in the world, the walls of your own home need to be built first. Every real work of God begins at home. I have seen at times people passionate for the work of God outside their homes while their own walls are crumbled and broken down and that only can last for so long, can only last for so long. You might be one way at church, but how are you at home? You might say, oh, I, I'm already, I'm serving in children's ministry and I'm here. I'm like, and then I'm also part of like the cleanup crew and I'm, and I'm, I'm serving God with passion. I'm available. I'm willing. I'm, I'm all these things. How are you at home? How is the wall of respect and honor of your parents? How is the wall of your personal devotion and prayer life? You see, how you act when no one is around, when you're not at church, treating your siblings and parents, that's who you are. That's who you are. Home will always be, listen, home will always be the hardest place to build for Jesus. Whether that's at now when you're in your parents' house, whether when you get married one day and have your own house, the hardest place to build for Jesus will be your own home. Yet it always has to start there. You can't go building some, some other wall when, when the walls are your own, they're crumbled, they're broken down. Yet I've seen that even in this place at this church, that can happen. People are so involved in ministry. How's your home? Oh yeah, we're not doing good. You need to pause the work of the wall here and go fix what's at home. Even the disciples were told, right, to start at Jerusalem. They said, <clears throat> Jesus told them, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They were to start in Jerusalem, which for all of them was the place, think about it, was the place of failure and denial. The, play, the very place that they ran away from Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to start there, then go out. So the big idea for today as we begin to land the plane, quite literally, I guess we've already landed and we've been walking around, as we now get back in the plane and fly uh, back to us, God has designed his work to be done next to each other. Eternity is most affected when God's people do God's work together. And so listen, everyone look at me. You have a part to play. You have a place to be and a task to do. The question is, will you get up? Will you rise up and be a part of it? Now, some of you might ask, well, how, how, how do I know? Like, how do I know which section's mine? How do I know what to do? How do I find out what I'm supposed to do? Uh, I love kind of the, the example that, that Pastor Jack gives, and this is something he's told your parents uh, in, this, in this realm. Okay, where, like, where does God have, what am I supposed to do here? What am, I, what am I supposed to, what's my role? What's my place? What's my part? Well, the, the first question should be, well, what do you see as the need? What do you, what do you, like, what walls do you see in a sense that are broken down? Do you see a window that every, every Sunday is like, man, that window's always dirty. God might be allowing you to see that window because one of your tasks for the moment, right? It doesn't mean forever you're, like your one thing is going to be cleaning windows. Maybe. But you saw something. Maybe, maybe it's trash cans. You're like, man, that trash can's always overflowing. I actually know where the dumpsters are. Every Sunday, it's like after second. It's like, I don't know everyone's throwing away their coffee. Maybe God is calling you for that moment to take the trash out. It, it could, listen, it could be that simple. Sometimes we overlook what God is opening for us because we're just getting to the next thing. Uh, there's a, there's a, a man named Colin. Uh, he is Pastor Shadrach's assistant, so he's a high school leader. Maybe you've seen him around. But I love Colin's example. Uh, he started attending the church uh, years ago, and, and he just started serving. And he noticed that one of the bathrooms that he was in, that he would go to, you know, after, before he'd pick up his family, it always had the water on the counters. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes, man, it's like, what are people doing? Like, you know, getting the water on there. And so he just, he's like, man. And so he just started with paper towels. He just started wiping it down. And then Sunday after, he's like, oh man, the paper towels are empty. So Sunday after Sunday, he did this. And then he finally asked for a key to be able to go in the facilities closet to put more paper towels in. And then he realized, oh wait, there's a ministry keeping his house. Like people actually do this in between services. Oh, okay. Like, I'll, I'll, sure, I'll be a part of that. And so he started just faithfully doing that. Then one time, who the uh, pastor, pastor Shadrach's former assistant, Matt, 
he saw a calling like, hey, man, you're always faithful in doing this. You should come be a high school leader. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come be a high school leader. And so he was a high school leader for a while. And then Pastor Shad saw, man, you're really faithful at, at doing this. Like, you're available, you're willing. Hey, like, there's a, there's a job opening at the church for facilities. Did you want to come, come on staff? And he's like, sure, okay. I'll. And so then he was on staff for facilities for a little while and still being a high school leader. And then uh, Pastor Shadrach needed a new assistant. He's like, well, can we have Colin be the? And now he's assisting Pastor Shadrach in ministry, and this is an awesome thing. How did that start? Wiping counters. God has a place a part on the wall for each one of you. But will you look for what that might be? And then when you see it, will you begin to step into it? I do just want to note one last thing, and then we'll close, I promise. Look at verse one. It talks about a sheep gate, right? We looked at that. Verse one talks about a sheep gate. Verse 32, it ends because it's a complete circle also ends with the sheep gate. Like I mentioned to you, the sheep gate is, would have been the gate that they would have brought the innocent lambs to be slaughtered for the sin of the people. It's a picture. You see, that, that Old Testament practice is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and I. That the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ was the lamb of God offered up to take away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do just thank you for, for Jesus and how everything in the Old Testament just looks forward to the cross of Christ. And Lord, that's really what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and him crucified. That's what we preach. That's our goal. And Lord, that we know that we have a part to play in that. Whether it's as simple as wiping down counters for the moment, Lord, would you just begin to, for these students here, uh, Lord, begin to open their eyes for what do you have for them? Not just here at church, but, but at home. What, what walls are, are broken down in their own home life? Would they begin there? Would they begin to just put brick after brick? And then, Lord, as those are built, Lord, would you begin using them in the areas of their school, in the areas of the church, uh, what, whatever it might be? Lord, we trust that you've gifted them. You have given them a spiritual gift as they've received Jesus Christ. Would you begin at their age now to begin to reveal that to them, that they would walk in it with all their might. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.